bottom of the Smash Mountain, Season 2, Episode 48, Joining the Melee Scene in Japan. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Jesse. You can call me Cypher as well. You Look, you get it. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate y'all tuning in or tapping on the thing on the phone. And tuning is a radio thing, by the way. I just It's just a habit. So, uh, by the way, I wasn't in radio. I should just... I should just move on. We have Ekans on the podcast today who most of you may not know, but Ekans is a person who is alive and well and is living out in Japan. So you're going to get to hear a lot about stuff like that. And so I'm excited to share that with you. Had a great conversation about how exactly one gets into the melee scene out in Japan. Even though Ekans had never been in the melee scene here in the United States before moving over. So... That's the basic setup. Let's get into it. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain, and today I'm so pleased to be joined by someone who you may not know, but out in Japan, there is a melee enthusiast. Today, we have Ekans on the pod. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. So... With the whole Japan thing, first and foremost, there's about a 13 or so hour difference between us right now. It's Saturday morning for you. Is that correct? Yeah, it's Saturday morning for me. It's Friday night for you. Yeah, yeah. Friday mm-hmm. night at just just after 8 o'clock here on the East Coast. So that's in, an incredible time difference. But I always I always feel the urge. So I must say it. But what happens? You know, what's, what, what's going on over there that we don't know about yet? Um. Yeah, well... Uh it is it is hot. I will tell you that Saturday is a hot day. I think that's going to add up over here as well. So I've watched you know enough of, of things that are related to Japanese culture to know that there's actually a, a, a bit of variety in terms of weather, but you said it was very warm where you are. What is warm yeah. for you? Is it, ooh. I'm in, I'm in Tokyo. Um, I, I've been, sorry, I'm originally from the U.S., but I'm, I'm living in Tokyo for a while now, so I'm thinking in Celsius. So today is going to be in the low 30s, which I think is maybe 90-ish in, in the U.S. Fahrenheit yep. units. Yep, that's tracking. Uh, we have a thermometer where we measure our two children's temperatures that likes to do it in Celsius. So we f- didn't figure out right away that it can actually convert to Fahrenheit. Like, mm. it does both but for the longest time, we thought it only did Celsius. So I'm used, <laughs> I'm used to seeing a 30-ish number and going, oh, okay, that's good for a human temperature to be, but not so much temperature outside. It's super, super hot when it does that. Okay. Yeah. I've been really aware of human body temperature recently, like last two years. So like 30, I think 36 is the sweet spot for uh, yes. not, not fever. <laughs> and if it's Fahrenheit, then you're in a bit, well, that's actually really bad. Okay, so I wanted to start off with your Melee origins, how you came across the game. So if you grew up in the United States, then that might be part of it. Or when did you first hear about Melee? Yeah, so I, I grew up in, in the U.S. Um, from Chicago area originally. Uh, when I was a kid, like elementary school, that was when Smash 64 was out. So I remember like my friends would talk about Smash 64 on the playground. Um, my family was never super into video games. It wasn't like my parents were against it or anything. Just we were really nerdy and we read books and that was pretty much it. Um, but eventually when the GameCube came out, my parents bought my brother and I an N64 um, to be one generation behind. 
Um, so my older brother and I, we got Super Smash Brothers Fan 64, and we played that so much. Uh, we just played that game into the ground. Um, that was great. And then, of course, Melee was out, so I knew about it instantly because, you know, I was such a big fan of 64. I remember going over to friends' houses to play, and, you know, the GameCube was nice because it has that little handle, so I would actually ask my friends to, like, carry their GameCube to my house when, when, when they came over, and we could play Melee specifically. So I've basically been playing Melee since it came out. I mean, obviously, I was 10, 11 at that time, so not very competitively. Um, as far as competitive Melee goes, I, I was aware of the scene for a while, like, in high school. Oh, by the way, I'm... I'm 30, so when I say high school, I mean like 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> so in high school, when my friends and I, we would, we would still play Melee because uh, Brawl hadn't come out yet. Um, and, you know, we were getting like kind of competitive amongst each other. And so, you know, the classic, like, I want to beat all my friends. So I look on YouTube or if YouTube didn't exist yet, like I found Smashboards or something. And, you know, the classic rabbit hole story from there. You find out about L canceling, you know, very basic, like dash dancing, wave dashing, super basic stuff. And then, you know, things like that. Um, and, I, and then I became aware of the scene. And I, for the longest time, I was really just a spectator. Like I would, I remember watching like Apex 2013 or whatever uh, on online. Or, you know, things like that. Like the Meg was that the year when they had the Megabus sponsorship and everyone kept talking about how all the players were coming by Megabus? That was a big meme then. Anyway, so I never really played the game competitively. Like I never went to a tournament um, f until five years ago. So I, th I think you mentioned that you, you're around 25 years old. And you yeah, just went to your so first tournament? I'm 25 currently, yep. Yeah, so I was in the exact same boat. I, n I never went to a tournament until I was 25. Um, even though I'd been aware of the competitive scene for, you know, f m more than f five years before that. Um, but I just, I, just, I just never did. Like, in college, I would, you know, I kept playing Melee. Like, Brawl came out at my last year of high school, and then my friends and I played that for a little bit. And then even though we were still, like, pretty casual, we were like, ah, Melee's better. Just for us you know, the speed and, and, and whatever. So we went back to Melee. We kept playing it, played in college, but never never went to any events. I know my college had a Melee scene, still does. Um, I went to University of Illinois, and they've got, I think, the longest-running tournament series, I think, which is, is it Show Me Your Moves or is it House of Pain? It's one of the, one of the two. Well, that's, like, had, like, 20, or, like, 18 iterations of it or something. Anyway, I never went to it, so I, I wouldn't know. But um, when I went to Japan, um, I moved to Japan shortly after college, and then I was in Japan, and then Smash 4 came out, and one of my coworkers at the time who I was good friends with, he was like, yeah, let's get Smash 4. So I played Smash 4 a lot with him, not competitively at all again. And then one day, I saw a post on the Smash Bros. Reddit, someone saying hey, if there's anyone in the Tokyo or Yokohama area, Yokohama is a major city that's also a suburb of Tokyo because, you know, when you're a giant mega city, you can have big cities as suburbs. Um, 
saying, you know, if there's anybody who wants to play Melee, like we're trying to start a group. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in this area. Maybe I'll, I'll check it out. So I, I messaged this person, and it turns out that it's a, it's a high school kid. And I was, you know, 25. And he was like, yeah, I'm 17. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of awkward. But, you know, Melee, you know, brings people together. So it turns out that he was the kid of a, a military family, an American military family, because there's an American military presence around Japan. Um, so I went over to his apartment, well, his parents' apartment, which was really big and nice because American military, um, unlike Japanese apartments, which are usually too small to host many people over. So I played m- m- the first, my introduction of competitive melee was playing with these high school kids um, <laughs> when I was 25. So yeah, but they were really nice. Um, and then through them, I found out that, you know, there were obviously tournaments in Tokyo. And that was how I went to my first tournament at the age of 25. So what it. was it like for you when you you have a little bit of a crew to go with, right? You're not going by yourself? Yeah, that was super nice. Because they could, like, even though they were high school kids, they, they knew some people that they could introduce me to. And, like, you know, it was really, really good to go not alone. I feel like, you know, that's... A lot, one of the things that really kept me from going to any tournaments is, like, I won't know anybody, like, you know anxiety things like that yeah so for me when i my my first tournament here a little while ago i knew the tournament organizer and i had seen some names in the discord but i hadn't really been able to put faces to any names so i come in and i'm going but then uh, about 10 minutes later i felt fine but it was just like driving there and then walking to the door where i was like i don't want to do this i want to go home (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I'm so happy to hear that you had people to go with that were able to just say, hey, this is Atkins, and he's cool, whatever, and just play some Melee, ch- like get to the part where, oh, okay, this is not super nerve-wracking. I love playing video games. I've been doing this a while. But my question to you is, was it so difficult not to be all like happy feet wombo combo anybody and expect you know a round of applause to be like hey we saw what you did there like because i had a temptation to like throw around like deep smash brothers melee references all over the place at my first tournament it was really hard not to constantly try to drop stuff into conversations yeah that's that's still a struggle even it, it doesn't go away even you know I've, I've only been going to tournaments for five years i'm sure there's Tons of people have gone longer, but that that doesn't go away. Um, it, it actually only gets stronger. Um, oh no! <laughs> so that's something you have to look forward to. What's your favorite? What's your favorite thing to reference? Like when you get the chance, when it comes up, like what do you like referencing when it comes to melee lore? Oh, there's so many. Um, if I had to choose one, um, is it's okay. How, how this is a little bit of a story. So I'm, I'm sorry for derailing already. But no worries. Um, That's what podcasting's so for. Back in like 2013, 2014, 2015 era, on um, the Reddit, the Smash Bros. Reddit, they used to have like a ye- yearly end of the year, like the best X of the year. Kind of like uh, Super Smash Con has done recently, like when they have like, you know, the combo of the year or whatever that gets voted on. But they used to do it, the, the organizers of the subreddit used to do it. And. I was really upset that they stopped doing that in 2015 because like my suggestion would have been like best literal tagline for an event was Apex 2015 let's go 
because they literally had to go to a different venue halfway through the event. So I always bring that up that like whatever's like, let's go. It's like, yeah, let's go. Like we have to go to another venue in Apex 2015. <laughs> so that's my, my joke that I never got to make until now. What would you say is something that was surprising to you at that first turning that you went to five years ago that you weren't necessarily expecting? Like when somebody went to rock, paper, scissors you, or if they said, so you just want to go to battlefield and you're like, um, um, like what was surprising to you? There were so many things. Um, I think a lot of them stem from the fact that it was a tournament. It was a Japanese tournament. And if you're on like the Smash Bros. Reddit or, or internet generally with Melee, you mostly see the U.S. tournament style. So at the time, the Japanese tournament style was really different. Um, like the stage striking and like uh, stuff was different. And people like to say that like, oh, back in the day, Japanese players only played on Final Destination. I don't know if that's true or not. That was definitely not true at the time. But um, back then, uh, the way that pools worked was that pools, uh, this was a, an event of like 70 people, maybe it was like the monthly, pools were round robin best of one. So best you, of one? You, you rock, paper, scissors, then you strike stages, and you play one game, and then that's it. And it's round robin, you play everybody in your, in, you play like all like seven people and eight people in your pool. In, in best of one pool. So that was really surprising to me because I, I was like, every time I watch the tournaments, you know, when I watch, you know, like whatever tournament I'm watching on, on Twitch, the Amer big American tournaments, you know, it's, it's, it's not that way. Uh, so right, it's best of three, yeah. it's best of five. Also, why am I not in grand finals already? <laughs> so I remember, it was either my first or second tournament, I, I still didn't really know, like, character matchups and things, and I ended up um, striking a best of one match with a Dr. Mario player when I was playing Fox and we struck to FD and I just got chain grabbed for one game and then I was like okay well now I know that FD Doc chain grabs me and then that was the entire set with that person. <laughs> right and you're like uh, I wasted a whole tournament set just to know yeah. <laughs> never again will I let a stage strike take me to FD when I'm playing as Fox versus any character like Doc that can yeah. chain grab me. Yeah, I mean, at least, I mean, there is a benefit because you do get to play everybody in the pool. It's not like bracket pools where you, you know, you play two matches and then you're out. You know, so you, you get eight different games against eight different players. So you get a lot of diversity, but it's, you know, you get the one game of FD where you didn't realize and then you die. So in the earlier tournaments that you attended, what would you say the ratio of foreigners, probably mostly United States, you know, people who had mm. traveled over compared to natives were attending these melee tournaments? Yeah, I think it, it's been pretty stable um, in terms of numbers. People come and go. But I'd say at, at a given tournament, it's, it's definitely mostly Japanese people um, with, you know, if there's 70, 80 people at the tournament, maybe 10, uh, 10, 15 people would be not Japanese, I would guess. Um, I don't know what that ratio is, but yeah. So there's a decent number of non-Japanese people like myself, um, but it's definitely mostly Japanese people. So in those earlier tournaments, I don't know what your level of Japanese speaking would be, but like if it's mostly people who are there who are born and raised in Japan who speak Japanese, and not necessarily English, although even if that's true, that's still a, a smidge of a language barrier. What was that like? Yeah, um, there's, the tournaments are entirely in, in Japanese. Um, 
they're only in English when there's like an important thing that needs to be announced to everybody, and or if there's an announcement directed at one particular person who they know needs to hear English. Um, I I've been pretty lucky that my level of conversation of like sp spoken uh, Japanese has always been pretty good since I've been in Japan because I studied Japanese in high school and university before I came. So it hasn't been an issue for me, but I've definitely been like the guy that they give the mic to. It's like, hey, make like, hey, Ekans, make an announcement about like no eating in the venue, so that all the you know in English that all the people understand it, and then they'll and I'll make the announcement or something. It's not always me. There there are people who are more bilingual than me. Um, like there there are a couple of people that are are flu completely bilingual, like half Japanese, half American, half British, whatever, who. Who would also do that? But sometimes it's me. Um, but there's also, you know, there are people, some people who live in Japan, who are from abroad, who don't speak Japanese very well yet. Or there's always, not well, not recently, but there have been uh, a lot of people who travel, you know, on vacation and you know wanna come to a melee event and don't speak any Japanese. So that's sometimes necessary. So you you've been living in Japan for a long enough now that like my assumption is. You live in a place that speaks another language primarily, and you live there long enough, and you'll just start to speak it about as well as you could expect it to be, like at the level of fluent, I guess, to, to mm -hmm. assign yourself that that <laughs> rank. But would you describe yourself as a fluent speaking, like for for Japanese, or do you still feel like you have more to learn? Um, I'd say yes to both. I'm I definitely consider myself fluent, but there's definitely more to learn. Um, Japanese is really tough in a couple ways, um, especially what I'm thinking of is the writing systems. Um, so I, I am, I'd say now, in terms of speaking and listening, my Japanese ability is the best it's ever been now, um, or about as good as it's ever been. I mean, I haven't been socializing very much due to COVID, so maybe it's gone down a little bit. But in terms of reading and writing, um, my Japanese was definitely the best it's ever been right when I graduated from university and I had been studying in a classroom like how to write. Um, I cannot write Japanese by hand. Um, it, it gets a lot easier when you have a computer because the computer, when you type Japanese without going into too many details, kind of fills in some things for you. The computer guesses what you're trying to write and then writes it for you because there's no way to make a complex writing system otherwise when you're typing on a computer. So I can type Japanese kind of okay, but if, if you give me a pen and paper and like told me to write something, I'd be able to be like, hello, my name is Ekans. I like Smash Bros. And like that's kind of like the limit of things I can like, it's like super basic stuff that I can comfortably handwrite. But in terms of like speaking conversation, there's rarely things that I can't get through. It might be just an instance of somebody talking really, really fast or perhaps a certain dialect, which is my next question for you. Are there, there has to be isms that in the same way that English language, as you know, has isms. There's things that people say or structure sentences in, in the Chicago area that they wouldn't necessarily do near Philadelphia or in Los Angeles. So there's just like little tiny differences, but what are those what are the kind of differences that you think are are fun or or whatever for speaking japanese yeah there's um there's actually a lot um in japan uh they 
there are two kind of main, like, quote-unquote, dialects, which are, are generally Eastern and Western. Um, basically, Tokyo is East, and Kyoto, Osaka, other big cities are, are West. Um, and those are, are relatively different, but basically everybody in the school system kind of learns the standard Tokyo dialect. So when people are talking like to like me, they usually just use that. So it's easier for me to understand. But there are definitely like different differences. And there's, there's even further differences as well. Like there's, um, there's a, a, a set of islands called Okinawa, which is kind of like Japan's Hawaii, where it, it's like it, it kind of like got included into the country of Japan like relatively late and has like a really different culture and everything. And their language is like hardly intelligible with Japanese. Like it, it's basically, it's its own language. Um, so I, if someone spoke Okinawan to me, I just wouldn't understand them. Um, but again, like basically everybody there also speaks standard Japanese, so that helps a lot. Um, one more thing about the dialects is that stereotypically Western dialect is like funnier. Like if you, if you hear someone speaking Western dialect, a lot of people will just assume that they're funnier just because that's how it is. Not that it sounds funny, it's just there's a stereotype that people from that area are funny and you can tell based on how they speak. It's like, oh, that person's speaking like that, they must be funny. Or conversely, when someone wants to be funny, they will try to adopt that dialect, even if they're not funny. <laughs> that would be so funny. Like for, I'm thinking of it for in, in terms of the United States. If in order to be hilarious, you had to have like a Buffalo area accent or, <laughs> or from Philly or from Alabama or Arkansas or mm. something and just be like, yeah, if you're not from Arkansas and you want to be a comedian and you want to make it in this business, <laughs> you have to yeah. do. I mean, it's, it yeah, kind of reminds kinda like, me. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. It's kind of like in English, if you want to be posh, you, you try to sound British. It's the same thing, except it's not posh. It's just humor. Right, right. Uh, the last thing I was thinking of is how in 1940s movies, 1950s movies, there was a certain way that they talked in American Hollywood films, mm-hmm. where it's like, they like punched extra hard on the words. I don't. I don't even know how to do it. But there's like a word for it. There's. It's got a whole thing. Isn't it the, the tra- transatlantic dialect or something like that? Sure. Let's let's go with that. I me, I forget. But in my brief in my limited brief acting experience, not anything major. Just we're talking high school level stuff. I've I was introduced to the concept of that. Of like, yeah, people had to used to literally learn how to do that because that's the only way people would talk in movies in Hollywood. And I'm like, okay, glad I missed the fifties or whatever. (laughs) That was, that's what I took away from that (laughs) conversation. So aside from, aside from playing melee, even still you've been, you've been going strong for all these years in terms of even, and even especially in Japan, this is something that I would be curious about is sort of the perception of melee as a game into more recent times, like say when Ultimate came out, how many people still like to play Melee and especially during quarantine where Americans are all all on board with, hey, Slippy is a thing and in pretty much everywhere else in the world. But what I've briefly heard from people like Amsa and Tof's conversations and the videos that Tof puts onto his YouTube, there's definitely a culture mindset of, yeah, we don't do Slippy, but we can we can back up a little bit from there what 
was melee tournaments like for you around the time that ultimate came out that was the end of 2018 Mm. yeah the the like right before Ultimate came out was kind of I I want to say at least as as far as I've been in the scene in Tokyo, kind of the heyday of melee. That was when our scene was popping off the most. Um, we had like three weeklies and like two monthlies. Um, it was amazing. Um, that was due to the very hard work of especially two tos who I want to shout out as often as I can, um, which are Watch, who's kind of the main Tokyo-based to. He's signed with VGBC for I don't know exactly what their arrangement is, but he he does a lot of a lot of great stuff for the Tokyo and generally Japan um, melee scene. And also there was a a TO who's actually from the UK. Uh, his tag is Okamid, and he was studying I think studying abroad in Tokyo for a year or, or nine months or something like that. And he when he came he like revolutionized the way we ran tournaments. Um, so him and Watch, Okamid and Watch, kind of tag-teamed, and the, the quality and quantity of tournaments exploded. It was, a, it was great. It was a great time. We had good venues, a variety of locations. It was really nice. And then Ultimate came out. Um, then the Fire Nation attacked. Um, oh, no. Our, yeah, so our biggest weekly, um, and our, at the best venue, in my opinion, um, was called Weekly Smash Party. This is actually at a Red Bull, a Red Bull official venue, the Red Bull Gaming Sphere, is what they Ooh. call it. Um, and they, before Ultimate, they hosted Melee and Smash Four, and occasionally even I think Smash Sixty Four also, all three Ooh, at the go. same time. Yeah, it was a really nice venue, really high tech. I love that place. Um, and then Ultimate came out, and they were like, "We well, yeah, we, the Ultimate, you know, and especially in Japan, is super huge." So they were like, we need all the space to run the Ultimate Tournament. So they cut Melee and uh, Smash 64 from that. So then, and then Okamid left, and kind of l- nobody really stepped up. So then Watch had to do everything by himself. Um, and the number of tournaments just w- wasn't sustainable for him to plan all by himself. Um, and also the one that we could no longer do. Um, so... It wasn't that bad, but it, it kind of went down a little bit, and then COVID happened, and that's a whole the whole one, the one-two punch of um, ultimate and COVID was really really bad for the Tokyo melee scene. Um, yeah, the thing you talked about with uh, Slippy, um, actually, just I think a week ago there was um, a YouTube video by an Aus- I think Australian. Don't quote me on that. Um, it's on my named- watch later list. I want to watch yeah. it so bad, but I, I didn't have time to do it yet. Mm. But I was like, I should do that before I interview Atkins. And I was like, no, I want to hear it from Atkins. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, he, what he said, it falls. What, so it was, it was, uh, I think the Australian is na- Australian smasher is T Kano writes is, is the YouTube channel at least. And he was interviewing watch. Who's like I said, the main TO. Um, and what watch said, um, and kind of probably what people have heard from Amsa or Tov maybe is that, um, the the way that people feel about games and Nintendo, but more generally games and how games should work and the interaction between fans and, and for game companies in Japan is a little bit different from the U.S. Um, in Japan, it seems a little bit stronger to have you know the game creator's vision as a higher priority. So apparently when Slippy was coming out, uh, the two kind of visible figureheads in the Japanese scene being Watch, the TO, and Amsa, the player, 
um, got a lot of like kind of hate mail essentially um, saying that you know this isn't right this is against what Nintendo wants you know like you should respect the creator of the game yada 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 um, and that's why watch does not do slippy events um, even though he's the head to he I don't think has ever or maybe maybe in the very beginning he did but he has not really done any slippy tournaments um, and AMSA hasn't really been entering much on Slippy um, tournaments at all. There are other tournaments that have happened um, on Slippy, but because, like, kind of the heart of the scene, the 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 TO and the, and the player who are are kind of our heart, are not in it. Um, it's really not been very big. Like, there was Rona Rumble, the big one, happened last weekend, and they had a, an East Asia event. Um, that was not only Japan, but Japan, Korea, like Taiwan. I, I don't know if there's players in China, but China, Hong Kong, like even down to like the Philippines, probably like Malaysia, Thailand, like that area, the whole area over there. But the, the turnout from Japan, I mean, it was, it was higher than other slip events, but not that high as you might assume from an, an, a region that used to have, you know, 70, 80 people at our monthlies. Um, we didn't have nearly that many um, at the you know and Rona Rumble the big one is a really big event you know international event they had events in Europe and US as well obviously so it was really you know it's really been rough but uh, on the upside I would say the Japanese melee scene is is like relatively mature like the people that are in it have been in it for the long haul so once offline events do resume I think we'll be able to bounce back, I hope, we'll be able to bounce back relatively well. Um, like the people who used to be going to events will go to events again, even if they didn't during um, the Slippy era. I, I feel like they will. Um, I, I hope not too many people will have dropped out. There's actually an in-person event happening today. Um, so all you people listening from home, go ahead and watch it three hours from the time that we're recording this. Um, <laughs> but that, that, that is an, an offline invitational being held by Watch. I think that's probably the first tournament he's holding since, you know, COVID happened. Um, so that is happening offline. I don't know where. I'm not good enough to be invited. Um, <laughs> but a couple of my friends were. So that's happening. I think maybe it might be a two-day event. It might be today and tomorrow. I don't know. Um, so oh, that's starting really cool. up again. But it's, it's an invitational that I think it's 16 players from Japan that are um, doing something there. I don't really know the details. Any players off the top of your head that you would know from that from those 16 that were invited? I don't know, actually, the full list. They did put out a short trailer, um, but I, I, I'm sure I, I know who all of them are, um, even if I don't know like the total list of names. I know two, two of my like, good friends um, are, are in it, so that's how I know about it, because um, they told me about it. Um, we've kind of got a, a group of like foreign smashers in Japan that's kind of a close-knit group of friends so that we, we talk a lot so um, I know two people from that are in it um, specifically I guess he changed his name so JMLE oh, what are the numbers in his tag now uh, JMLE337 JMLEE337 I guess JMLE337 Three three seven, he's he's in it, and also Gar, 
the in, the famous Gar from the Mike Hayes diss track, I want to say, from 2016, maybe, is also in, in the event um, as the, the two non-Japanese but in Japan players that I know. So I'm thinking of uh, players like Bomb's Soldier and Shensuke, I think, is the, uh, one, yeah, yeah, is yeah. the, the Fox main that played against Amsa. At a, it was in person, but it was broadcasted for Gallant Melee Online Spring Edition, if I recall mm. correctly, like a first to five or first to seven. Yeah, so Shun- Shunsuke is great. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I don't know if he's there. He, even before Slippy, he had kind of sporadic attendance at um, events because I think he was busy with work um, or, or personal life stuff. I'm not exactly sure, but he, I'm sure he was invited. I'm not sure if he is one of the final 16 that accepted, um, but I'm, I'm sure he was invited. Bomb Soldier, I've honestly never seen at any event in Japan, I think he probably left the scene before I joined. Um, even though he's so famous um, for the you know the sets versus Ken back in whenever that was two thousand seven maybe. Um, but yeah, I think that was before my time, and I, I don't think he's really involved anymore. Um, also, people that uh, might be known. I mean, Amsa's obviously not there because he's at Summit right now. Um, people might know Rudolph. He was. Uh, he was making some waves at U.S. tournaments a couple years ago, but he um, he kind of dropped off the radar a little bit because he lives kind of far from the main areas of Melee in Japan, So, and he didn't have uh, a lot of dispensable income to travel with. So, sadly, he hasn't really been to much recently. Why am I why am I remembering the name Rudolph? Is it because it would Rudolph like lie down on chairs while playing melee yes, sets? Yes, the Sphinx pose, exactly. <laughs> yeah, one of my um one of my friends uh he at the time he was, went by the tag Wombology, but now he's uh, Zanzibar. Um he he he's also American who who was in Japan at the time. Um when he played Rudolph in tournament, he like also demanded that he get extra chairs to be able to lie down on, um, just to match like the the energy that Rudolph was giving off. Mind games, um, mind games. <laughs> and and after the set, he he was so sore. He said he regretted it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah. for everyone. Yeah, no, I I don't know how Rudolph plays like that. But yes, that that is that is him. He also has the famous shirt that looks like a tournament bracket with, and it says like you and me, and then like it, it shows the next stage and just says me on top. And he points at it whatever <laughs> That's awesome. They should yeah. ha- that should be on sale somewhere. Okay, so with the f- the return of Melee here, are you going to be trying to attend events there in Tokyo as you're able to once they become more open bracket? Or what does your current vision of playing Melee look like? Yeah, I'm really hoping to. Um, unlike the U.S., the vaccination um, kind of rate here is a little bit slower, uh, not because people don't want it, um, just because it, it hasn't been as available. So most people I know are not fully vaccinated. In fact, the only people I know in Japan who are fully vaccinated are Americans who traveled to the U.S., got vaccinated, and then came back. Um, oh, they would actually, oh, wow, they did that? They did the whole thing just to get vaccinated sooner? Well, yes and no. Like the two people in particular that I'm thinking of, they like work. They they can work completely remotely from home. Um, they work for like tech companies or whatever. So 
you know, it was a like combination like I can work from anywhere in the world, so why not go home, visit family, you know, get vaccinated, maybe do some other stuff that they had to do in the U.S. I don't know exactly the details, but yeah, um, they they were each there for like a month, you know, get the shots, see people, you know, relax a little bit, and then come back to Japan. But those are the only two people in Japan that I know personally that are not like elderly. Because um, the, elderly, the elderly vaccination rates are relatively high now, um, but as far as like people who are not, um, it's only them. Um, a lot of people are now getting their first shots. Um, I, just this past week, got in the mail my ticket to get my first shot, um, but I haven't, I haven't gotten it yet um, because I got the ticket, but the, from the city. The city is sending, I don't know how it was in the U.S., but the city sends every resident a ticket, and if you have the ticket you can make an appointment to get a shot. Um, at, we at, like, more or less would get a letter in the mail or an email saying, hey, you, you're you good to go now in terms of your age and situation because mm. essential workers and older people, they were the first people to get the vaccine in the United States. And then, yeah. and, and then there were other like kind of like rollouts to different groups, but I'm young and healthy. So yeah, I was among the last groups to kind of get the you can now make the appointment deal. So mm-hmm. you just go on the website and do that. So it, it sounds pretty similar, yeah, but I didn't get a ticket. That's That sounds more more official. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a letter that has a little little area that, I, I, don't know if it, I don't know if ticket is the right word for this, but it has a little area that the doctor is supposed to fill out, like the card thing. I don't know. But anyway, I got mine in the mail, but the in my city, the like appointment slots don't open until Monday. So I can't even make an appointment yet. Um, like the, the system doesn't open to make appointments until Monday. So hopefully, well, I'm sure it's going to be a huge rush of people, um, but hopefully I'll get a first shot soon. And then once, I mean, I, I'm kind of like you, you know, I'm, I'm 30. I'm not in great physical shape, but I, I, don't, I don't have serious ailments. So I'm also in like the kind of last-ish group. So... Um, hopefully that means that more people are, are getting it soon and then we can get back to in-person events, which I cannot wait for. So you were saying how, when, oh, no, what was the pr- name of the pr- UK based TO who had to leave uh, Japan? Okamid. Amid? Okamid. Okamid? Yeah. O-K-A-M-E-E-D. Okay. When Okamid left and there was kind of like a void there. Was was there no tug in your heart to try to step up to do more things? I've I've talked to people, obviously mm-hmm. as you know, who either felt that urge to do more, or they got into content, or they wanted to do this, that, and the third around melee. But it's not a bad thing that you didn't. I'm asking mm-hmm. why, in your relationship with melee, to kind of like stay, stay the course, if you will. I, I know that you've gotten better since you've played in, in those early days of attending tournaments. Certainly that happened, but what the process behind for you was in regards to kind of just staying the course with your relationship to Melee instead of like trying to throw in the head more. I know that it's not financially rewarding, but I'm wondering what was it for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I ask myself that a lot. Like I, there's, there are always these these periods where I'm thinking like, oh, I could make a difference. I could, you know, I could really help out. I'm actually going through one of those phases right now, where I'm really thinking like, oh, I could, 
you know, I, I have this, this great ability to speak multiple languages, you know, I could, I could be a great um, kind of liaison for the Japanese melee scene to the international, primarily English-speaking scene. Um, but as far as at that time with, with um, Okamid, I don't know, I just, I don't know if I, w- I wasn't ready or if, I don't know, I mean, there's always kind of the, the thing in the back of my head, like, I'm not Japanese, my level of Japanese is not perfect, so I'm always worried, like, once, you know, if I was trying to be a TO or something, when I need to start, like, talking to venues, you know, money starts getting involved, I'm not sure how confident I am. I'm not sure if this is an excuse or if it's something I'm making up at the, on the moment, but, like, you know, th- that's always in the back of my mind, like, am I good enough for this, in, in this aspect, things like that. Um, but I am feeling now that I really want to get more involved. Um, I mean, obviously, like, you know, I'm, I'm on this Smash-based podcast. Like, that's more involved than I've ever really been in terms of, <laughs> like, content. You're, um, you're putting yourself out there, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really do think, you know, I've been talking with my, my friends in Japan about this, like, you know, should we try to get the Japanese scene more, you know, kind of visible in, in terms of the international scene? I don't know. My, some of my friends, I was talking about this with my, my Japanese-based foreign melee friends, and the consensus seemed to be that Jap- the Japanese scene is the most overrated scene. Um, of course, everybody thinks their own scene is overrated or underrated, but you never think it is what it is. Um, and that we shouldn't try to get more visibility because then people will know how really bad we are. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's tongue in cheek, um, but yeah, I, I do think there there's a lot of benefit to be to be made by reaching out more on on behalf of the Japanese scene, um, especially in support of Watch, because um, Watch is Japanese, the, the main TO. He's Japanese, but he he speaks English as good if not better than i speak japanese like his his Eng- his level of english is unusual um for japanese people generally um like he's not again he's not like perfect english but like he is you know as good english as, as like a lot of people you hear at, at european tournaments or whatever like if they're not from english-speaking countries like he's as good as you can you know get without living in an english-speaking country um but maybe it's the same way for him, where he's thinking, you know, if he wants to reach out to the, you know, English-speaking scene, is he good enough? I don't, I don't know what his headspace is, but you know, so I do want to support him, especially because he's he's been talking about his his dream to make a Japanese major that draws not only from Japan um, and whatever tourists happen to be in Japan at the time, but you know, actually draws people from other countries. You know, get maybe some people from the West Coast to fly out. And like have like a legitimately big event in in maybe Tokyo or somewhere. So that's kind of his dream, and, and I'd really like to see it happen. So I really do think that there's more I could do there, and I really should step up. So maybe I will. I think it all starts with that that first decision. It just it there are a lot of mind blocks. It resonates with me because I knew about melee for a long time. I knew about competitive melee for a long time, but I never jumped in to even just like go to tournaments period i always gave myself outs and reasons and excuses to not go and i'm just like i'm just gonna be just you know i'll i don't i don't need this or something yeah (laughs) it's exactly how i was for the longest time eventually being like i need it Mm -hmm. so i definitely understand where you're coming from 
but I think about, okay, so let me just kind of conceptualize this a little bit where Europe for a long time was just sort of known as the Leffen and Armada home base. They'd kind of beat up on everybody and then come over to the United States and hopefully, hopefully win tournaments, beating up American players, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And then with Slippy Rollback, they're starting to say to themselves, well, we can unite the continent together because it, y- Europe, at least Western Europe, is, is rather small land-wise compared to even the United States or, or especially South America, places like that. If Asia, obviously, is the biggest. We, you get it. And yeah. we, have, we have this ability, speaking as Europe, to, to do that and to promote our scene, to say that we are a real dedicated melee base as well that you don't have to be in the United States to have hype, to have cool events, mm-hmm. to have a circuit starting the same circuit this year, having one big monthly where it's part of the same circuit and there's points involved if you place well and pipsqueak. And this is such a sad thing that pipsqueak has, was not able to yeah. ultimately attend summit. Mm-hmm. But the reason why he had that ability is because he was the points leader in the same circuit so mm-hmm. they awarded him the the spot to go to the united states to play in summit of course like i said got stupid stupid edge guarded at the border as they say and i am just so so mad that pipsqueak and leffen were not able to attend this event but i think about other places in the world where maybe it's not because of slippy but just because of people stepping up and saying we want to make something out of this it, it just involves people like you deciding to do that and i don't i know you don't get to doing everything right away there i have so many ideas or at least goals that i have for the podcast that i'm doing here where i go i want to do more than just this in terms of content creation and i would like to play on slippy at some point and i would like to go to more tournaments at some point but this is what Mm -hmm. i can do now so Mm -hmm just take the step forward and do something like this and then we'll see what happens next that's that's been my mentality since that's the so start of the year oh well thank you i do appreciate that want to pass that uh, on to jd and wasabi the wannabes as per usual they were the ones who inspired me to kind of take a step forward but i loved I loved hearing how you have sort of had those those times of saying, I have other life priorities. I have work and friends and family and other hobbies, but I still love Melee and I still want to play this game. Maybe I can do something else. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean you have to ultimately become a mega-sized TO that helps to bring a major event to life. Maybe that's still something that's on watch but maybe you can just be part of the (laughs) part of the effort that ultimately leads in that direction because that would be something that i would love to see not just for tokyo but for 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 paris or for london for berlin moscow uh, uh, sorry beijing excuse me that's the capital of china there there would be it would be so cool to like have an event in places like rio or or sydney australia and be kind of like worldwide where maybe maybe we can't all go (laughs) we can't all go to like every single big tournament size like that but like one or two events a year where everybody just sort of knows hey we're going to go to the super awesome big event in this continent or in this country and if tokyo japan is one of those places 
I mean, I would love to go to Tokyo, Japan to, to play Melee and, and also to check things out. I've, I've never traveled outside of the United States before. So the fact that you did that for, for work and also because you wanted to, that kind of thing, you've already done something really big that people cannot say they've done. You speak two languages very well. That's also something that for myself I can't do, other people can't. So I know that you know you can do those kind of things if you set your mind to it. I'm just also giving you my support as well. When, when, you, when you come to Tokyo, I will be the first to show you around. Very cool. That's very nice of you to offer that. Thank you. But yeah, I, I do feel like what you were saying, I feel like Tokyo especially is in a really good position to do something like, like that because, I mean, just demographic-wise, um, smashers tend to have certain interests, um, tend to be in certain age groups that have certain interests, especially American smashers. Like, a lot of American smashers, I imagine, want to visit Tokyo. You know, it's kind of, you know, better or for worse, it's kind of an idealized place in a lot of people's minds. So I really think that if we can get it together, this, this dream of, of like a major tournament in Japan is possible. It definitely is. And whatever part that you would have in that yourself, I would love to hear about that, you know, uh, in terms of moving forward in the future, whenever that happens, if it, mm. if it can happen in the next few years or if it takes five years to get there. It is so funny how that sort of just like happens, right? Where you look back and you go, wow, it's taken five years of regular in and out locals, monthlies, regionals events and national events and then finally we have something big enough to draw the big guns from the united states and from Mm -hmm. europe but we finally got here and it would be so cool to have an event sort of i think about air in britain where people go oh i have to go to that event everybody just goes and has a great time and it's awesome melee so that's really cool to hear about that it would be awesome is it in particular for Tokyo, because like you said, it is so true. I mean, what Smasher hasn't watched an anime like Ping Pong or Mm -hmm. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is is my anime of choice, but One Piece or uh, Haikyuu, you get it. Uh, I could go on and on. My Hero Academia, you get it. Uh, We've all watched anime, so at the very least, you assume in your head automatically, oh, that happens in Japan. Sometimes not 100 percently but the point is is that you just think japanese culture oh tokyo is a really big place to visit oh that's really cool yeah i gotta go Mm -hmm. and to go to play in a major yeah that'd be really fun yeah i mean i i feel like you know international events could there is a an element of like vacation plus melee event like i i actually did that myself i went to the uk two years ago, three years ago, COVID time skip, whenever before COVID happened. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah. that was when the tournament FET, which I guess is like a kind of air-ish tournament, was happening. And I was, I was in the UK otherwise. And I was like, oh my God, I, I, there's this event that like I got to go to. So I went there for one day. Um, but I went there for one day and that was an amazing one day and I would definitely do it again. So I definitely think combining tourism and like melee events is a way to go for for a lot of non-us based events to get international attendance even in even in the united states there's events like reptide that's being held at this big water park Mm -hmm. in the midwest which is 
kind of weird. Okay. But the point is, is that it's not just melee. You can go and be in a pool that most likely has pee in it. Yay. So <laughs> there are, there are those kind of tournaments where they say it's not just the melee. You're not going to be playing in a dark room with a bunch of other melee players. It's going to be in this grand location. And yes, yeah course tokyo is one of those grand locations that you think of when you think of places in the world where there's just so many things to do besides the game of melee itself mm -hmm. and despite the fact that some people may think smashers especially melee players are like on the less social side i would just i would i would bet i would argue that we are just as social if not more so because of how over the many years primarily we were an in-person community like i never mm -hmm. felt part of the melee community myself because i never went to an event and i knew in order to feel truly connected i would have to do that at some point because that's where all the magic is online stuff is cool watching tournaments from home is cool but going to a, a, an event like genesis or pound or shine would be that's the or the big house that's where the magic truly is where there's a electricity in the room and you then you start to get it <laughs> yeah <laughs> your brain starts to understand melee 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 <laughs> you, you go home and you're like well i guess i'm entering 20 events in the next month now let's go let's go that would be awesome to experience in a in a, mm -hmm. in a place like tokyo so before we get you going here and we've been at this for a little under an hour, so we'll we'll probably yeah. push over a little bit. Hopefully, that's all right that's with fine. you. That's no, fine. That's fine. I got nothing else to do. With, I mean, I'm more worried about you. It's it's getting late for you. You know, it's ten o'clock for me. I got the whole day ahead of me. <laughs> well, hopefully, you're able to somehow catch that invitational or, or or something. And I would love to, if you can help me find like if there's a Smash GG page or somewhere where the brackets like live and updated. That would be so cool. And if there isn't, that's fine as well. Well, they're but definitely it streaming it. Uh, I'll, I can send you a link to the stream when we finish. Um, and if they'll Zavad, I'll try to find if they've got, I think they've got a Smash GG page I can send you as well. Yeah, you can try to do that uh, when we're done. I don't think I'll be able to get this episode out before the event is over, yeah, over. But I'm still going to post... I'm going to post the bracket anyway because I just think it's cool that there's an invitational happening and I would love to know at least like who won it because mm -hmm. if AMSA's there, you kind of assume, at least from my perspective, I go, well, AMSA wins everything, right? I mean, right? <laughs> AMSA's the, one of the few Japanese players that regularly would come over pre-COVID to yeah. American majors, so, right? But that's, that may not necessarily be true all the time, but that's the whole thing. I want to see mm -hmm. who, who's, who's making waves in the in one of the first or the first event back for non yeah. the non AMSA Japanese players crowd that'd be cool to see and I think it'd be cool to pass that on as well just to bump up that visibility a little bit that's what it's all yeah, about for sure exactly what do you miss about the United States that being in Japan doesn't necessarily offer mm, there's there's a lot of things like I mean the biggest one is like definitely just my family like you know I haven't I mean I talked to my parents you know, online, yep, maybe every week or two um, for a good bit of time. But it's not the same, you know, um, just being so far away. So that's definitely numero uno. Um, I also, I miss a lot of American food. Um, I mean, Tokyo is, is a major city. You can get almost anything you want. Like there's a Chicago deep dish pizza place, you know, that I can walk <laughs> to in But is it really, though? Minutes. So... Like, you know, you can get anything you want, but, you know, still, like, a good, like, Mexican food, like, isn't as prevalent here as I would love it to be. Um, I miss, 
Ch- I mean, it's, it's ironic to say, but I'm only saying this because it's summertime now, but I miss Chicago weather, which nobody's ever said in the history of the universe. <laughs> um, but especially summer, summer weather, because it is too hot um, in Tokyo for me. Um, so I miss that, like, 80-degree summer day and not the 95-degree, 95% humidity Tokyo summer. Um, so that's what I'm missing right now at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird. I'm sure I would miss, like, the melee scene in the U.S. if I had been in it, but I actually, like, never was. So I don't really have anything to miss in that regard. Um, but it seems nice. From your from your limited exposure, yeah, sure. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So it's it usually just has to do with the things that you grew up in that you're sort of familiar with, family in yeah. particular, mm-hmm. that you miss. But how many times have you come back to the U.S. since you move? You first moved out there. Um, I've actually so I've been in Japan for seven years, um, seven or eight. I guess my eighth year now, um, and I've only been back once. Really? Yeah. So after a couple of years, my actually my family, my, I've I've got one brother and my two parents. They came to Japan to visit. Um, so we we saw each other then, and I took them around during kind of summer, which was not a good idea because it was way too hot. Um, <laughs> but uh, you were all joking with each other. Hey, I'd kind of rather be back in Chicago with for that weather right yeah. now. <laughs> um, so they they came here, and then a few years later, I went back. Um, and then three years ago, I went to the UK and I saw some like cousins and stuff in the UK. And I also met my brother there. He traveled from the US and we met up there, but I haven't, I haven't like met my parents in person in like five years. No, four years maybe. Yeah. So I was really hoping to, um, but, uh, not happening this summer. Um, maybe next summer. I can go back. That would be really nice. Um, I really want to, but yeah. So I, I, I mean, I talk to them like every week or two, but I haven't been in their physical presence in maybe four years. That must be such a like. It's not something that I'm familiar with, where you talk to somebody on a on a fairly regular basis. Your parents were were referring to here, but then actually not seeing them in person mm-hmm. that throughout that entire time, mostly because of the dif- distance, but now because of the distance and because of COVID, yeah, that it's just like it's like this weird twisted interactive movie where it's not necessarily a one hundred percent recycled conversation. You know, there's new updates and new things to talk about, but there's only so many times you can talk about what you're doing for work or what they're doing for, for work or how, like, have you talked to your brother? (laughs) Have you talked to my brother? Yeah. Like you just, (laughs) you don't, you don't have that, that, that thing that a lot of people like that are used to having when you made the, the choice to go over. But I suppose without saying, (laughs) do you regret that? That's kind of uh, sharp. But I, what I would say is, would you find your experience to be one where if you could make that decision again, would you choose to go and work in Japan? Yeah, I think I would. Um, I'm, I'm not, there, there's not a lot that I regret about um, coming to Japan, especially. Um, if anything, I wish I'd come to Japan more and sooner. Um, like I had opportunities to do like a study abroad in college or um, 
I even considered doing a gap year between high school and college and, and going to Japan because again I had studied Japanese in high school um, but I didn't you know because of you know nervousness or whatever and I kind of wish I had um, because I really enjoy being here there's a lot that I like as much as I complain about the weather and lack of Mexican food um, there's a <laughs> lot of good points about about living in Japan as well um, so I really don't regret it um, I do wish that I could you know see my family in person more than once every few years um, but no I don't I don't regret it at all and I'm I definitely do it again but that doesn't mean I would recommend it to every single person um, certainly important caveat right yes we're, we're talking just specifically from your perspective in terms of recommending to other people this is sort of the picture you know you have to really like what you're doing over there yeah you you mm -hmm. have to you, I, I would be shocked to hear if you didn't like what you did for a living over there. But yeah. regardless of that, you have to have more than just one good reason to go, right? It sounded like you had more than one good reason. Yeah. Yeah, like um, the, the stereotype, and, and it, it does apply to me as well, is that um, people from English-speaking countries move to Japan after co college to teach English. Um, because they're, like, you don't need to be particularly highly skilled um, maybe high skilled is not the right word, but um, you don't need a lot of qualifications to teach right, right, English in, in Japanese schools um, compared to maybe like other European countries. Um, so, and that, that is what I did too. Um, but the kind of advice that I see a lot online that I would like to parrot and I really believe in is like only really do that if you actually want to teach. Like I actually wanted to teach. It was like I wanted to teach and I wanted to go to Japan so I could do those things together. But a lot of people just want to go to Japan and they see teaching English as the easiest way. And then they end up hating their job because they don't actually want to do their job. Um, so to the people who want to move to Japan, by all means do it. Um, but my advice would be like, find out what you want to do, whatever that may be, and then figure out how you can do that thing in Japan. If, if Japan is where you want to be, then by all means come. But don't just come to come. You gotta figure out what you want to do and then do it here. So that's my advice. For me, it works out because I wanted to teach and that was the easiest thing. So I got really lucky in that regard, but it's definitely not the same for other people. And there are, there are opportunities. You know, I know plenty of people who aren't teachers. Um, so it's definitely possible. It's just maybe not as straightforward. It's interesting to think about how as a 19 year old and you're like one or two years out of high school, you have to think about, oh, what is it that I want to do? And maybe you've done mm -hmm. a year of college already or you're doing a gap year because you're trying to take your time to think about it, but you just don't know who you are as a person yet. And then somebody like Ekans comes along and says, yes, not only do you need to figure that out, but you also need to figure out if you can do it in a country that's literally thousands and thousands of miles away from your home. Good luck. N not yeah. that you said that, but I just, mm. it was funny to me because I'm thinking it is so hard as a as a younger adult to know exactly what you want to do i, I, I feel still so don't bad. know oh okay I'm, I'm 30 like i mean <laughs> i enjoy teaching but i like people ask me like are you going to stay in japan forever or are you going to move somewhere else i'm like i don't know i, I don't know what i want to be when i grow up it probably will involve teaching um maybe involves japan i don't know <laughs> i would certainly uh, hope that you can use the experiences that you've you've had under your belt now and that you can use for what's ahead of you in life to launch into that without as many bumps and bruises but 
starting over, that's what I think is like the scariest to everyone where you go, all right, well, you're not going to really be able to lean on previous life experience a lot for the next step, but you're Mm -hmm. just going to have to do it anyway. Like, is that one that would be very, very scary for you or what's a scary proposition for you in general? Yeah. Like that. I mean, when I came to Japan, it was super nerve wracking because, you know, it's exactly as you said, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anybody here. I knew, I knew the language somewhat, um, but I didn't have any like social support. I, you know, just kind of leap of faith. You just kind of, at some point you take the plunge and you just figure it'll work out and you kind of do what you can to make it work out. And that's what you do. So I, I'm kind of confident that things hope, hopefully work out um, as long as you put your best foot forward. So, you know, I'm, you know, there, there's always things you, you try to do. You know, like even with you, you go into your first melee tournament. When I, that was the same way for me. You know, you, you don't know, maybe you don't know that many people or you don't know what it's going to be like, but, you know, you just do it and it'll work out. Um, of course, that's not to say things always work out. I, I've led a very privileged life where things happen to work out for me more often than not, but that don't want to say that if it doesn't work out for you all the time, you're doing it wrong. It's not the case. Um, but yeah, just, you know, try things out and hope that they'll work. And that's really all you can do. I love that. Before we get you going here, are there any other final thoughts that you have about Melee or all of your, all of your life experiences? Mm. And also if you want to tell the people where they can find you, you can do that too. Okay, great. Um, as far as like me- final thoughts about melee, um, I want to make it very clear that I'm not good at melee. Um, <laughs> I think even before COVID, I had not won a, a set at, a, at an event in like six months before COVID even started. Um, I was going through a little bit of a slump. That's my excuse. Um, but I'm still, you know, I'm still here. You know, even if you're, you know, not great at the game, doesn't mean you can't be involved. Doesn't mean you, you're not important. It just means that you're maybe not that great at the game, but that's fine. Um, as far as where people can find me, um, don't. I, I do not have a social media presence. Um, I do not stream. I do not make vi- videos on YouTube. I do not use Twitter. Um, please put your effort into finding people that make content, um, like this here podcast or other podcasts for Melee or great long-form YouTube content that I love to watch from you know, so many people more than I can name who make great YouTube videos. Um, please put your effort into finding them and not me. Yeah, that's, ooh, that's where ooh. you can find me. <laughs> one, one last little thing as well, since we're not going to pl- plug a lot of stuff for you, but the, I, I, do you feel comfortable doing any shout outs in, in Japanese or saying a few smasher terms in Japanese or are you not comfortable doing that? I mean, shout outs, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I actually don't know the word for shout out in, in Japanese. <laughs> I've never, it's never come up before. I think the French before. word for shout out is shout out, by the way. Yeah, the, I remember I hearing that last week. On, on. Yeah. Um, so I actually don't know the word in Japanese for shout out. And also, like, I don't know. I always feel like when someone's like, oh, speak Japanese, I never know what to say. Um, oh, okay. So, so I'll, I'll think, I'll, I, I I'll think of it. Let, let me. Did, can Sorry. Yeah. Uh, can you say, "Yo, did he just walk up slowly and down smash?" <laughs> oh, can God. you say that specifically? Just let me, let me let me formulate it in my head. Okay. Okay. I can I can do that. It's gonna be like super cringy, but that's fine. All right. Uh, 
は本当にゆっくり歩いて親しまやったの It's something like that. Super cringy. Nobody who speaks Japanese, please don't criticize me. But yeah. <laughs> those who can't do, teach. And those who can't teach, <laughs> teach gym. And by the way, that's from School of Rock, just in case you、mm, didn't get yeah, it. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome. That's all I got. One more time, Ekans. Thank you so much for joining me on Bottom of Smash Mountain. Yeah, thank you for having me. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Woohoo! You made it. We made it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode here on Bottom of the Smash Mountain. Now you know a little bit more about the melee scene over in Japan, thanks to Ekans, who may not be someone who's real big on social media, but I'm so happy that somehow, in, in, in the most magical of ways, Ekans managed to find out about Bottom of the Smash Mountain and told me. That, yeah, pretty much listens to all the episodes, or at least the ones from recent memory in the past couple of months. So that means a lot to me for all of you who listen on a regular basis. Thank you so much. One thing I wanted to clarify that Ekans asks me to clarify this was a note on the interview afterwards. So just to set the record straight here, that after Okamid left the Japan melee scene. The thought or the message conveyed in our interview that Ekans was giving with me was that nobody really stepped up to help watch. But there was one player, Plata or Plata, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, so I do apologize. But this player did step up a little bit to help with TOing stuff with watch. So. We want to give credit where credit's due, that there were indeed people, Plata slash Plata, again, not sure how to pronounce the name, but trying to help out with making sure that the melee scene continued to thrive before COVID came into town and, and also before Ultimate arrived, kind of forcing some of those gaming convention center type places to abandon any older Smash game and just be. Solely in favor of concentrating on Ultimate. And look, Ultimate will have its day in the sun, and that's all fine and well, but Melee will come back. I fully believe in that, especially with someone who sounds as awesome as Watch is for the Melee scene out there in Japan. I'm looking forward to the possibilities of the future. And me and Atkins were obviously getting excited about a major, a super major happening someday in Tokyo. That would be wild. So that is it for me. I want to talk about Smash Summit 11, but I think I might do a podcast exclusive. That's right, not on YouTube, just on the podcast platforms. I think I might do something like that to recap Smash Summit 11 in my own way. I wanted to do it as quickly as possible, and I did not reach out to anybody to come on for recapping with me. So, probably going to be doing it by myself, but we shall see. For those of you who are on YouTube, though, who are going, aw, exclusive content, don't worry. I love you. <laughs> you can feel free to comment something on the video. I don't know. I got a fun comment on the episode with Firepuff12 recently because that was, you know what? I'm just going to save that for the Smash Summit 11 recap episode. Okay. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening and watching the little stick figure climb up the mountain a bunch of times.